Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody, it's just after 8 o'clock here in the UK, not clue where you are of course, could be any time of the day, it's always 5 o'clock somewhere, as uh, Jimmy Buffett once famously said. So let's crack open the margaritas and go for another episode of Midweek Motorsport. Uh, this is it is Series 13, Episode 40, we're already up to 40. On a pack pro tonight, programme tonight, Tim, do we have any princesses to, for hire? Uh, no princesses tonight, uh, right. but I would remind you of what Joe Bradley is claiming about uh, reaching 40. Which is? Uh, once you get to 40, you should only work three days a week. Well, so yes. So for the, for the rest of the year, I think that's what we should do. Right, that seems that seems reasonable. Uh, we have all the usual features. Excellent. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, motorsport on four <laughs> wheels and two wheels. It's <laughs> uh, always a good thing. We'll have some calendar news. Lots oh, of calendar you do news. love a nice calendar. calendar to, you do, yeah. Uh, we'll be joined by uh, Kerry Cobb. We'll be joined by oh, Nick Damon. We'll be joined by Johnny Palmer. And uh, hopefully we'll be joined by Declan Brennan as well. In the second half of tonight's programme, we've got, whilst it's not some an ex- not an exclusive. We have got uh, the first broadcast interview uh, with the guys from United Autosports. I think we can say that because, it's, as I say, it's not an exclusive. Their news of their ASLMS, Asian Le Mans Series expansion, broke it yesterday. And uh, uh, we'll have them on the telephone right now. Where would you like to... Oh, by the way, for a very special person who has saved the... Uh, the podcast to listen to on a flight to the left-hand coast of the US just so he can ignore his daughters who undoubtedly would be squabbling by now. You know who you are. Does he not realise that there are plenty of other podcasts he could download during the flight and he could listen to this show live? Well, I I think he wants to keep with this for uh, reasons of sanity, frankly. This is the most sane show we do, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) I I listen to some of the Sparta of our coverage. Uh, it did get a bit um, tangential, shall we say. Uh, shall we move on? All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. So, Tim has shuffled his papers and brings us what as our top story? Well, well our top story is actually a story that uh, on Monday, if you'd told me I was going to be reading this story out uh, as our top story, I would have been very, very shocked. Which is? This is the news that Guy Edwards is alive. That is very true. <laughs> I've seen this. <laughs> uh, Formula 5000 champion in 1974. He also raced in Formula 1, Formula mm. 2, British touring cars. And, of course, the 24 hours of Le Mans six times. Mm-hmm. Ten times, sorry, mm. ten times. And he is alive. 
he he is alive. Uh, although uh, some less reputable motorsport uh, media outlets uh, yesterday claimed that he wasn't, uh, I can confirm that he is. Shall we move on? Uh, yes, because uh, I want to go back to Thursday, which is what our Ooh. top story would have been. Thursday of last week? Thursday of last week. Right, okay. This may have got buried among the weekend's multitude of racing action. We did have a cornucopia of competitive racing, didn't we? Yes, and there was a load of stuff that we didn't cover as well, uh, which we'll talk about tonight. Right. Um but on Thursday, there was a meeting of the FIA World Motorsport Council. Yes, that's right. I got a fax. I didn't mention this, actually. You still get the faxes? Mm? I get oh, special, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get special emails now, which have the same content as the fax, but they're in blue, not black. Ah, really? How interesting. Anyway, moving on. I don't know if you've got a colour fax machine. Maybe you get them in blue as well. Mm. Uh, the 2019 Formula One World Championship calendar was approved. So our second to top story uh, is Formula One. Hooray! Hurrah! Hooray! Hooray! Yes, indeed. Uh, and, and can I just point out as well, just the record. So the record, I'm not dead either. No, indeed. The 40, uh, so the Formula One calendar is out, Nick. Yes. And it's approved. It's, and it's pretty much what they said it was going to be when they provisionally announced it. We have a race that starts in the 17th of March and ends the 1st of December. So it's it's turned into the into the, uh, the national hunt season, isn't it? not having a single day off. There are uh, some regulation changes for 2019, though. The team personnel curfew mm-hmm. will increase from eight to nine hours. Extra time in bed for mechanics. Can't argue that. Extra some mechanics. time in the bar for mechanics. Mm. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, they, 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 the. If you remember kind of race weekends, you know, 15, 20 years ago, the mechanics probably got, what, four hours sleep over a weekend maximum? <laughs> as they pull all night on Friday night and Saturday night because they'd be changing the cars, literally changing the cars entirely before the Parc Ferme, um, uh, what was it called, it called? Uh, curfew now, um, where they, where they are in Parc Ferme conditions after qualifying. I mean, they, yeah, you'd have a qualifying car. You'd build, you'd build a complete new car between Saturday before Sunday, Sunday warm-up. So, um, A, to keep down costs and... Uh, and B, to reduce the stress in 18, 20 races, um, they get a decent night's sleep on all bars three days of the year. <laughs> uh, when they get, they, they can have a, 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 a dispensation from having to go home because something major has happened. Uh, rear end plate lights are to be added for safety reasons. Oh, really? How lovely. Now, this is something that they already have in the World Endurance Championship. So, great. I'm not quite sure. Where again, don't see that one. Um, obviously, it's only going to be of any interest which absolutely teeming down because otherwise, you can see the rear end of the car, and the rear end plates aren't the widest bit anyway. No, so not sh- again, that's just fiddling on the decks of the Titanic. Right, carry on. Uh, teams Literally. will be responsible for initial scrutineering of their own cars before the cars go on track for the first time. Teams must declare conformity with all safety related matters, safety related matters, not. Other regulations. It's a separate mm, I mean, sentence. It may well, be it two does separate mean, things. Well, it does mean. What that means, if you, if you read that, what that actually means is that you could actually have a car that, as long as it conformed to the safety regulations, could be completely out with the regulation every other way in the first in the first sessions. So you could run a car that was had no ballast and was forty kilograms or sixty kilograms lighter if you wanted to, as long as it had all the safety features. Yes. Uh, changes to the mirror regulations and associated rear wing char- changes uh, for 
rear view visibility reasons. Yeah, they'd article like three point six and article fourteen point three. Bigger mirrors, narrower, narrower wing, isn't it? Just to pull them in, so they can, apparently they can see stuff. Well, the uh, is it? Uh, yeah, it's the height of the wing that's changing, uh, so yeah. that in their bigger mirrors they can actually see past it. It is at the moment a very good reason to uh, you know, to go. Oh no, I'm not sure. I didn't see it. Though, given the amount of weaving and blocking we see, it's pretty obvious they can see the cars when they come past and they want to. And oh, they, they wouldn't know where to weave them. to, would they? Yes, they wouldn't. Well, can they? Apparently, they're whisper quiet, apparently, according to Bernie, remember? Uh, of course, yes. Here's the controversial one. Oh. The official signal of the end of the race will now be a checkered light panel. Is this because there was a mistake last year and the flag got waved? Was it a lap too early in Abu Dhabi, was it? Um, and they, they lost a lap. It didn't really matter because I think the season was over. But obviously, therefore, if you see the checkered flag but don't see the checkered panel, well, then, then it's the checker panel which takes uh, precedence, and therefore the checker panel will be under the uh, auspices of Charlie Whiting, and therefore he's pretty sure he'll get that right, even if some celebrity waves a flag too early, would be my guess. They might even get the uh, lap timing computer to uh, automatically generate the checkered flag That's panel. Advanced stuff. <laughs> This is this is this is this is not these are not globally exciting. You see, there are a raft of changes coming next year, which is far more interesting to the to the aero stuff. But that's always yeah. be improved, isn't they? Uh, more calendar news. Oh, you oh. do like a calendar. Uh, the uh, 2019 FIA World Rally Championship calendar is confirmed. Oh, magnificent! Uh, it's very much similar to the 2018 FIA <laughs> World Rally Championship calendar. Uh, but there are lots of rule changes in the WRC. Right. No gravel. Uh, all cars start at the same time and use a nice tarmac circuit. No. No? Okay, I don't do, know that. Do all the drivers have to admit this is pointless and they much rather be doing something else? <laughs> drivers will be free to choose permanent car numbers except number uh, one. Right. So that brings it in line with one or two other things. This is in it? order to give consistent identity to drivers. This is it, it just means they can sell more hats. That's what I was going to say. It's about selling hats, yeah. The total number of test days will be reduced. Do you know how many days of testing they get at the moment? I do, because I can read the same release as you. <laughs> can I guess? Because I've got no yes, clue. Yes, John. Uh, ten days. Ten days. Johnny Palmer's here. How many? Hello, uh, Johnny. Hello, John. How many days testing do you think they get in the WRC at the moment? 250. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, one of us was closer? <laughs> John, but only just. <laughs> 55 days testing they're allowed at the moment. No way. And that will be reduced to 42 days. Does that include things like shakedowns? Or are they... No, it... those are shakedowns. They're no different. No way. So that, that's... How many did you say? 50? 55. So reducing to 42. So that's more than a day a week of the year testing, plus a shakedown day for every single rally. Yes. I mean, basically... <sighs> Rally Australia is middle of November at the end of the season. Rally Monte Carlo is the end of January. They could go testing every weekday in between. That's extraordinary. No wonder they all have test teams then. Because you couldn't, you couldn't have your race teams doing it. In order to continue supporting the progression of young talent in the sport, the format of the junior WRC will remain unchanged. Thank goodness for that then. WRC 3 will cease. Oh really? Yes. Okay, what's that? What's is anything taking over from it? No, although competitors with two-wheel drive cars are still eligible to enter. Enter what? Rallies. Oh, 
Very the FIA good. World Endurance Championship calendar has been approved. Hurrah! For the 2019-20 season. Is this the final, final version of that? No. No. It's uh, subject to confirmation, which they're not allowed to, uh, or one event is subject to confirmation, which they're not allowed to do until IMSA has uh, done it first. Uh, which is what, Sebring? The date of uh, Sebring 2020, which... Uh, I think we can probably tell you what that is. We probably can, and Sebring will in February 2019. I think I think what's very good, though, guys, is the is the fan-backed and fan-requested four hours of Silverstone's being confirmed. Has it? Yes. Yeah. All the fans who wanted that four-hour race are... Uh, and the Chinese fans... Chinese yep. fans will be equally uh, delighted with their four hours of Shanghai. Exactly. Are they only getting four hours four as well? Hours. Yes. Uh, I'm going to put my neck out and say that they'll be on Friday the 13th. Yes, that's Friday the 13th of March. Is it a, is it a thousand miles? Is one, the one coming up next March? Is that a thousand miles? I thought it was 1,500 miles, wasn't it? I've, uh, I have no clue. I think they shortened Johnny it to should know. Miles, Johnny they? should tell you. He's our WEC man. I am. Uh, How, yes. He's the voice WEC. He's Correct. the voice of WEC. What's the length of the race, Johnny? Uh, it's a thousand miles. It was originally announced as 1500. You're right, Nick. But it uh, got changed probably three or four months ago, I think. So is it a thousand miles or eight hours, whichever comes first next year? Yes. Yes. I think so. Getting, getting a thousand miles in eight hours would be. Um, Going some? No, it's the, any sort of yellows. Was Sebring incredibly quick? The, the, Sebring's quick, that and the lap times are about that. It should be if it if it went full green, I think it's something in the region of seven, seven thirty or seven forty. Okay. I remember that the original thousand kilometer or six hour races were changed to six hour races because they're quite often being finished in about five hours 15 five hours 20 and, and t- Eurosport, who oh, only yes. came on for the final 30 minutes were left with the end of the podium ceremony time certain races for endurance is the right way to go yes just just for it's the Le Mans 24 hours it's not the Le Mans however many miles you can complete no 3755 um it is no you're right it is um it's much better for television and it's much better for the teams as well because the issue with the with having it as a mileage uh, uh, a mileage race is that everyone outside the top class have no idea how many laps they're going to complete more to the point yeah. certain classes of drivers have to do certain number of hours and you can't do that if you don't have a fixed amount of time. Correct. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsports Series 13, Episode 40. Life begins right here. Uh, moving on, more calendar news? Uh, no, we're staying with WC news. Oh, okay, good. Uh, because details of the technical regulations based upon the hypermarché concept for the 2020-2021 <laughs> season were approved. Hypermarché. That's a spell-checking issue. Yes, it is. Uh, an estimation of the required budgets was presented with a view to allowing both manufacturers and private entries to be Sorry, competitive. Can, can I ask, were the same, to on, that, on that point, were the same rules carry forward? Or carry four, carry or, four. Or is there still an ocean between us? Very good, very French, <laughs> very French supermarket. No, no. market. I've run out now, sorry, carry on. <laughs> I th- I think that I think this this uh, you've got to talk about the elephant in the room, obviously. <laughs> Mammoth. <laughs> um, 
Sorry, Sorry, I can't think of any more either. <laughs> no, there was an ocean in Moscow when I was there earlier really? in the year. Yeah. No, surely not. Was oh, it a was little one thing. or a big one? <laughs> it was a huge one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, no. We have to roll out all of these later on when these, these uh, regulations are. <laughs> Moving on. You've spoken to some uh, manufacturers. What are their views on hypercars? Who, me? Yes. Um, mixed, really. And... Uh, um, Johnny is uh, is is aware as well, and and uh, by speaking to some of the the teams as well, um, we've got Richard Dean on later on. I tell you what, remind me, Tim, and I'll I'll ha- ask Richard about it. Although we're talking about the Asian Le Mans series with Richard in the second half of tonight's program, if you remind me, I'll I'll ask him about it. Um, it's mixed, really. Um, Chris Renke from Audi was in the studio at the weekend for Motil Petit Le Mans, and I asked him deliberately about it, uh, um, and he said it doesn't work for Audi. We don't have a hypercar product. It's, there's nothing for us to promote. Now, what's interesting about that is they didn't sell um, R18 prototypes either, but they felt that that was something to go to because they felt they could make the... Uh, they could make the intellectual leap between what they were doing on the track and uh, transferring that technology into their road cars. Vorsprung Dirk Technik, forward through technology, that very much helps. They don't see, Nick, the relevance between an Ypres car and anything that they're doing. Which, you, from, Do you not think, John, that if... He said they were more um, interested in DPI, although they still weren't going to do DPI. Yeah, I mean, I can see why. If you've got a hypercar, which looks like your very, very expensive hypercar, yeah. and it breaks down for whatever reason, gearbox, engine, wheel falls off, it's not a brilliant advert. If your sports prototype pushing the edge of boundaries breaks down, everyone goes, well, that's motor racing. Well, the other thing is as well, of course, and having spoken... Right, honestly, if I was pushed... Um, Aston Martin have a hypercar concept, have two hypercar concepts, actually, a track car and a road car. Um, I'd say that they'd be very interested in it. It's a very cost-effective way, or it's likely to be a very cost-effective way for a small manufacturer to go and win Le Mans outright. Um, there's there's nothing that says it has to, We haven't seen the, the regs yet, but there's nothing that says it has to be based on a road car. So, effectively, we are talking about styling exercises on a prototype chassis. So actually what we're talking about is DPI hybrid. That's what we're talking about. The ACO won't say that and they won't admit to that, but that's what it is. It's DPI hybrid because they don't want to take on um, a concept that has the word Daytona in it. And I, and I completely understand that as well. So it's a cost-effective way to go running. The people who are super impressed in it, perhaps even hyper impressed in it, are people like Brabham and Corniseg and Jim Glickenhaus. And I've already seen a concept car that is being designed to a set of regulations that don't exist yet for an, a wealthy individual who is prepared to put as much money as it takes into it to build two or three of these cars to go to Le Mans and win Le Mans outright so that his car, and with his name on it, can have been the outright winner at Le Mans. Now, that's great for us as spectators. It's not the outcome that the ACO and the WEC want because none of those people that I've just mentioned, whether it's Aston, Corniseg, David Brabham, Jim Glickenhaus, ENOTHER Racing, um, add into that 
um, McLaren, who are probably going to do it. Ferrari, who are round the edges of it, but probably won't. Ford, who are now not going to the meetings anymore, so unlikely to. Um, nothing from Audi, as we've heard. Toyota, well, yes, they're probably going to do it at all. None of those spend any activation money. None of those spend big money at Le Mans. Not in the Porsche and Audi kind of way. And those cubic euros, those 25, 30 million euros of activation money from each of the two VAG brands is not going to be filled up by those manufacturers. So how does it help the ACO? In terms of money coming in, it doesn't at all. So why do it? Why not just keep hold of what has been a relatively successful LMP1 privateer class and let that develop, which is already far cheaper and if everybody was doing it on a level playing field and not have to race against Toyota then it would be better racing. JP's listening in and you know we had the situation at the weekend Johnny where there was a an EOT an equalization of technology change within the third practice session at Fuji and some of the teams actually made the changes within that session and came out for the second half of the session before qualifying and actually started the session. I mean, this is extraordinary. Started the session with one set of performance parameters and ended it with another. It's all over the place at the moment, isn't it? Uh, yeah, you could argue that, I suppose. Uh, we're in a situation where the ACO hadn't planned any of this, of course, and you know, you're left with one team that's running a hybrid and everybody else isn't. Uh, and the idea from the fans that both should be racing each other and both should be on an equal par, but I don't think that's ever been the plan from the ACO. No. So they're trying to bridge a gap that, isn't their creation um and they want to try and create a race i suppose for six hours rather than just have the seven and the eight car pitted against each other um they made a tweak it wasn't enough (laughs) then they're left with a bit of a quandary do we leave it as it is or do we try and get it even closer for qualifying which is what they did but it does uh smack of you know closing the stable door before uh, after the horse has bolted really um and you might have to wait five more weeks for Shanghai, which is a circuit which might offer very different parameters again. Um, they're still damned if they do, damned if they mm. don't. And it's going to be the case until the end of this regulation set, I think. Yes. Can I uh, throw a uh, name at you? Go on. Peugeot Onyx. What about them? Is, is this uh, something that could be turned into a Le Mans hypercar? Do you not feel that the ACO has chased after Peugeot long enough to know success? Since they've been chasing after them since they pulled down in 2012. And they've amended regulations to, to tempt them. They've still not bothered turning up. Nick's right. Peugeot massively... What is a kind way of saying what I want to say? There is no kind way of saying it, so I can't say it. But they're basically defecated in their own nest um, when they walked away from the championship that that they had begged the ACO to have, the WEC, and they did it before it even got got it going. And that just wasn't smart stuff. As Nick rightly says, the ACO have chased after them for too long. And frankly, even when Peugeot were around, they didn't spend the same kind of money as Audi or or Porsche, uh, or even probably Toyota, and Toyota don't spend that much on activation. So, I, I don't know. I really don't know. Would they like to have Peugeot back? Yes. You know the one brand that the ACO would like to have back in the WEC and particularly at Le Mans above any other? Bentley. Audi. Audi. 
Bentley, Audi. Johnny, what do you think? Um, it's a tough question. Uh, BMW are sort of back, but yeah, they, they want them back as a, a prototype team. There's That's one fun. brand that always, always, always comes up uh, when the ACO talk about brands they want back at Le Mans. And extraordinarily enough, it's Jaguar. They oh, hark back to the Jaguar days and they want Jaguar back. It invigorated the British fans. It invigorated the worldwide fans as no other has done. And if Tata ever wanted to come back, if they said, you need to run 60 cars uh, off our production line in India, the City Rover, or whatever it is, the City Rover prototype, uh, then the ACO would probably bend over backwards to do it because that is the one manufacturer that they absolutely want back because they would see the they would see the brand uh, potential in that globally mm. so Peugeot pff, it's a bonny car it is it's a bonny car but huh? I just think the ACO keep trying different things and every one of them seems to be uh, geared towards bringing back Peugeot so why they obviously have looked at uh, Peugeot's on Express release and thought, ah, oh, we'll create a class for that. Uh, tyre news. And the tyres. They're, ra- they're round and black. Uh, yes, and for the FIA GT Nations Cup and FIA GT World Cup, they're going to be Italian. And for the FIA European Truck Racing Championship, they're not. They're going to be, what, 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 what are the trucks getting? Bridgestones? Uh, Gucci Dunlop. Do you remember we've talked about uh, the FIA World Rallycross Championship going electric? She's yes. electric. She's got a family full of eccentrics. That's been delayed until 2021. Should have kept the guitar. That's in. shocking news. Oh, very good. Uh, is it running in parallel with anything else, or is it going to be its own series? Watch the tumbleweed. Why are they delayed it though? Should I just go home now? Uh, because they need, or they want, they don't need anything at all. They want <laughs> to have three manufacturer backed entries and they haven't had commitment from three yet. Currently. Anyway. <clears throat> Can we stop making jokes as a based on electricity? <laughs> <That's very good. laughs> because of the postponement, they've also decided to postpone a. Uh, tender for uh, tyre suppliers. Right. Which makes sense, I suppose. Okay. Why would you want to supply tyres for a championship that has no cars in it? Mm. Uh, Do they have th- to be flexible? Mm. Formula 3... Yeah, don't forget they have no home to go to, would they? I've already done that one. Oh, sorry. You just couldn't resist it. Very sure, that's oh. very good. <laughs> very, very good. Yeah. Uh, Formula 3... Now, uh, Formula 3 uh, stops being Formula 3 at the end of this season, uh, which it already has reached, because it happened at the weekend. We'll talk about that a little more later. And it is GP3 is also stopping, and that's being called Formula 3, but it isn't. Uh, although in the FIA, I, FIA's eyes, it is. Yes, but it isn't, because it's a single make. But FIA Formula 3 regional uh, for <laughs> Europe... Uh, will continue with, uh, which will be Formula, uh, also not Formula 3, uh, but also using the Formula 3 name. And we now know who will run that. Yes. And that will be the Automobile Club d'Italia. 
Right, so it's Italian Formula 3 then. Yes, although it's not the same as Italian Formula 3. No, of course, because that would make it far too easy to understand. Yes. Uh, A rival bid uh, by Renault uh, was rejected. So is it... Although Renault, I believe, will still uh, try and go ahead with their championship. What is it that that you can't you can call it Formula Three, you can't call it F three, or is it the other way around? Uh, the FIA is reserving uh, the uh, term Formula Three mm-hmm. for its uh, championship that runs between Formula Four and Formula Two, right? Which is a spec series, right? Uh, so therefore, you can't have a national Formula Three championship without you going can, through but the it FIA. It has to use those cars, right? Okay. But you could, um, could you call it three formula? Or, could, or just three F? Yes. Or three F or yeah. F three um or W series. No. You could call it real Formula Three. Yeah, real Formula Three. You yeah. probably couldn't get away with that. I actually just want to kill myself when I hear all of this. Honestly, is, because uh, it is ju- still it is not going the, to be Formula yeah. Three. Can we go back to electric can we go back to electricity jokes, please? No seriously, <laughs> Nick, th- this is such a ridiculous we could do t- Tim literally could do twenty minutes on what is Formula Three, <laughs> what isn't had. Formula Three. And I know. I know. It is absolutely oh. and and the powers that who's the single seat of Czar now? Is it still Berger? Berger? No, he's yeah. not. He he, he's, he's he stopped being meant to do uh, DTM, he's didn't DTM he? DTM now, yeah. Right, he ruined it. It's his fault. Hashtag blame Berger. It is his fault because he's the one who started all this nonsense about what <laughs> you could call what it was and Formula Three that was actually Formula Four but called Formula Three in certain countries and other things that were actually not Formula Three but were called F3 but were still F4 cars anyway. And it's just nonsense. How are you meant to get anybody to understand what is going on, even inside the business, never mind outside? Can can we just look at once again, please? And I can't believe I'm saying this after several years of being highly critical of them, that Dorna have got it absolutely right. Moto3, Moto2, MotoGP. And that's what the FIA is trying to emulate. With Formula 3, Formula 2 and Formula 1. Don't forget that uh, Moto 3 and Moto 2 are spec series. Well, they're spec engines. They have um, variable chassis in fairness, but they end up being effectively spec on that front. But, you know, I think it's it's disappointing that Formula 3 is going only because it was, whilst it was obviously theoretically a a multi-chassis formula because Delara was so good, it was, you were allowed to test on what you wanted to do. You hadn't got to homologate every single spec you know, screw. You could do other, you could do things to the car and be clever. And now you're just going to get, you know, early Saturday morning sessions on a on the F1 um, package. But it, it'll achieve what the FI wants to be, which is hoovering all the cash. At Fuji at the weekend, supporting the WEC, was the final two rounds of the All Japan Formula 3 Championship. Now, that title had been sewn up uh, some months ago uh, by the winner of both races at Fuji, Shodsu Boi. Uh, who ends the championship with 214 points. His teammate uh, finished uh, second in the championship, Ritomo Miata, uh, on 117 points. Suboi uh, won all but four races over, field. over the course of the season. Uh, two of those he didn't win because they were cancelled due to bad weather. Right. Uh, and the other two he finished second behind his teammate. But how many were in it? There were 25 drivers uh, okay. who did some or all of the season. 
He sounds like a, a genuine prospect then. And you can guarantee he'll be good in the wet. Valencia. 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 Yes. This week Valencia. is right. home. We're all saying Valencia. Home to the Formula E preseason test. Mm. Right. Yes. And uh, somebody some, hasn't been taking part. Some Formula One refugees are turning up. But yes, and some people who should have driven haven't driven. Uh, Stoffel Van Dorn. He should have driven, and he's turned up. Yes. Pascal Wehrlein. Pascal. I'm concentrating F1, which is why I haven't signed for Formula E. Oh, that's not working. I'll sign for Formula E. Yes. Why has Pascal changed his mind? Uh, because he's not going to get the Toro Rosso gig, because another person who should have turned up at the testing for Nissan, Alexander Albon, is now the new favourite to partner Danny Kvyat at Toro Rosso, and he's now trying to wangle his way out of a contract he signed with Nissan about three weeks ago when he didn't think he was going to get the drive because there were no drives available. Uh, um... He is going to go back to Red Bull. He was a Red Bull sponsor driver for in his career earlier. Of course, he's coming. Is he second overall? Looking like in F2. Um, and of course, he is um, He is Thai, or he's certainly raced under a Thai license, which he thought would be particularly attractive Red Bull because he's a 50% owned by uh, uh, Thai investors. It's not Austrian, as everyone thinks. It's a 50 50 Austrian and Thai um, uh, company. Thai, so I'm surprised he, was, he, he wasn't uh, put up before. But, this, but the interesting thing is, if he does get the drive, that means the Thai. If points go as we expect, the top three drivers from F2 will all get an F1 drive next year. When's the last time that happened, Tim? I don't think that's ever happened. Uh, still to come in tonight's programme, we've got some American sports car news. We'll be looking back at Fuji and looking forward to the Nürburgring Nordschleife uh, and the finale of the VLN. Uh, it is their ninth round of the season. Johnny Palmer rejoining us uh, for that. Uh, we'll have a bit more of Nick Damon as well. And uh, we'll be talking Asian Le Mans series with United Autosports. That's uh, in the second hour of tonight's programme. Uh, and a bit of Declan Brennan as well with some uh, more news from the States. But where would you like to go next, Tim? Uh, what's the significance of the number 4,739? Well, it's not uh, how many miles I did on the uh, Rensport 6 to... No, but you're going to tell us Taylor that Mon- in the second hour, aren't you? We are going to tell winner. you that. We are going to announce a winner and a couple of runners-up as well. Uh, that's been mad with all the... There's going to be a lot of upset people on uh, that. What was the number? 3,000 what? No, 4,739. Nick Damon, any guesses? 4,739. Nick? Um... Was it the number of entrants to a Baja race in Mexico? Not the answer we're looking for. Johnny Palmer. Was it the number of overtakes in half of the six hours of Fuji at the weekend? Very good. Doesn't sound like it Very from good. Uh, what I read. The m- number of DRS events uh, in a Formula One race? It's the number of days right. between Gary Paffett winning the DTM and Gary Paffett winning the DTM. Really? That's a magnificent start. So, is that 11 years, is that? 13 years. That is magnificent. I'm very, very And in between, he's just complained about a lot of things. He complained a lot on Saturday as well. Well, even though he won? Uh, <laughs> on, on his uh, team radio after the race. Um there were a lot of words that German broadcasters can get away with and British ones can't, for which he later apologised. Mm. Really? 
but once he won the championship on Sunday, uh, he said that is simply unbelievable. It's not really un- unbelievable when you're sort of leading going into the final round, is it? Yes, but it's when... not like Elvis has turned up in a helicopter with an alien. He's just won. He's just got enough points to win the championship, which he was leading. When the last six races are all won by the driver who's second in the championship, Rene Rast. He's still a massive points advantage, Tim. Yes. I mean, I know you're trying to build it up and you're doing your journalistic duty, but realistically, it's one of these things that, that's not unbelievable. It's a job well done. Well done, everyone else, but it's not unbelievable. That's driver's title and uh, manufacturer's title and team's title for uh, Mercedes. And, and, they're, and they're off now. And they're off. Going out on the high. They're off. Possibly. Maybe. Well, they're Actually. definitely off. Uh, but I'm sure their cars will be seen again with different lids on. And and perhaps shaped like uh, a car from a British manufacturer, but without any badges on it. Uh, their engine will uh, remain. I am sure it will. I'm sure the chassis will as cars, well. Yes. Mm. Uh, just just the Mercedes name will go. Moving on. Uh, so Gary Pafford has also uh, then gone to Barcelona. No, he hasn't. He's gone to Valencia. Yes, he's driving right to WA, who are the Mercedes, who will become Mercedes next year, and then join officially in FE. Whereas HW who? A. 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 I thought you said HWH. HWA. No, HWA. Yes. His Royal Highness. Um, I, I think it's very clever what Mercedes have done with that because if it all goes sideways, they can say, well, of course, that wasn't a proper effort from us. Um, it'll all be different when we come in with the three-pointed star. And if it all goes well, a bit say, well, that was all our influence, wasn't it? And mm. it'll be even better next yeah. year when we have the three-pointed star. It's very clever. Well uh, so he, he, will, he will be teammates with Stoffel van Dorn. The, the brilliant Stiffy van Dorn mirror. Uh, who else? Be seen. He hasn't been brilliant in the last couple of years. Who else picks up a trophy at uh, Hockenheim? Hockenheim Mm. Um, uh, was it? Oh, I don't know. Is it some, someone's son? Um, was it? Uh, someone, uh, Michael, somebody. Michael, somebody. Uh, Michael Schumacher. Yes, it was one again. Yes. Then Mick, of course. So we can tell them the After an extraordinary second half of the season. Indeed. Yes. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, so. Congratulations to Mick, and he said he would decide by the end of the month what he's going to do next year. Oh, excellent. Uh, he's doing F2 next year. It'll likely be F2. Who do you think he'll uh, do that with? Bremer? Yeah, it's possible. Uh, we have some ever since I was a young boy news. Ah, yes. I picked this up last week. This was magnificent. This is why we were in Atlanta, wasn't it, Nick? This is uh, George Russell. Oh, yes, maybe you said yes. George Russell going to Williams. Uh, ever since he was a young boy, he's dreamed of driving for the team that's currently the slowest on the grid. Well, va- no, 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 that's not fair. They're not here anymore. That's not fair. They're <laughs> vying to be back of the grid with McLaren. So, you know, maybe when he was growing yeah, so... up, maybe when he was growing up, George Russell did hope that he'd be battling with McLaren for position on a Formula One grid. Yes, in a British car. In a British car. You know, so, yeah. you got to uh, be careful what you wish for. Yeah, no. Joe Bradley always said to me, I'd, all I want to do is work in F1. Oh, the resurgence, you never know. Could, he could be the spark that turns it round. Well, 
Joe Bradley always said to me, I've always wanted to work in F1. And where was he posted to when he joined the police? What division was he is he was he posted to? Sunderland Central, Foxtrot One, F1. So he got his, he, <laughs> you've got to be very careful and specific. That's like saying well, I'm going to answer Nick questions on that. on RC World Champions. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Moving on. Uh, George Russell said, Formula One has been a lifelong dream. From watching the races when I was a child, it feels surreal that I will now be lining up on the grid alongside drivers whom I've admired for years. Mm. I'd like to thank Claire and everyone at Williams for their faith in making this decision, as well as Toto and the team at Mercedes for writing a Claire huge check. Me. <laughs> yes, for writing a huge check and getting me into it. Absolutely. Oh, no, 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 I don't. I don't think they wrote a huge check. They wrote a note saying, this note good for one set of free engines. Right, okay. So effectively they said, don't pay us. They didn't pay a lot of money, but they said to Claire Williams, don't pay us a lot of money. So ultimately, as far as the bottom line, the bean counters at Williams are concerned. Oh, yeah, exactly the same thing. And who's going to be the second seat at Williams then, Nick? Well, they're saying Sir Watkins probably going to get it. Right. Um... Because he has cash, and I don't think McLaren. I'm sorry, Mercedes. I want to pay for both their drivers to be in at Williams. They might so do. So Ocon's going to. Have a, they might do, but I think they're going to. I think they'll, they'll, they'll let um, uh, Williams get some cash from somebody else. Uh, yes, very good. Right, moving on. We're only a few days away for uh, one of the biggest parties in uh, Texas. Are we? Yes. Bruno Mars and Britney Spears are headlining uh, the Circuit of the Americas this weekend. Excellent. And, and they will be the focus of attention, let's be honest. Uh, as, as I should have said, global superstar Bruno Mars will perform yeah. on uh, the Circuit of the Americas Superstage this Saturday. What, and what's, what's Britney Spears nowadays? Chop liver? What, really? Uh, she's less of a superstar. <laughs> she's international pop icon, Britney Spears. Ah, right. Okay, yes, because everybody's got to have it. It's a bit like when you read a menu. You can't just have leg of lamb. It has to be leg of grass-fed Cumbrian lamb. Uh, Shropster. Yes. Yeah, exactly. You've got to have where yes. it was built, what else, how it's eaten, what it's served yes. with, whether yeah. it, you know, at any point in its life it's scrabble, you know, the whole lot. Yeah, yeah. Intelligent Shropshire lamb. They're not the only uh, musical acts uh, performing this weekend. Are they not? No. Prolific 16-year-old rapper, Love Sad Kid. Well, actually, can you just give us the descriptor and we have okay. to... Okay. Okay, so, right, so Prolific 16-year-old... So prolific 16-year-old yeah. rapper from yep. Irving, Texas. Right, okay. Uh, He's very cheap to get there. Moving yes. on. Yes. Uh-huh. Austin-based singer, songwriter and guitarist. Well, that basically is anyone who works in a hotel or a restaurant. From the band Heartless Bastards. Really? Yes. I oh, don't know. Uh, Barry Hoggy-Bong. Erica Wennerstrom. Right. Oh, obviously. I, that's my second that was, the, that was the other guitarist. Uh, a local blues band who stayed, shared stages with B.B. King, Willie Nelson and Sharon Jones. Right, OK. Now, you see, now, that's that's like saying, and in this race, we have... Uh, Seven, seven-time NASCAR champion Jimmy Johnson, race champions. No, I'm not saying that race champions would do this, but this would be like race of champions saying, uh, seven-time NASCAR cup, uh, cup winner uh, Jimmy Johnson, uh, um, S- uh, Sebastian Vettel, multiple Formula One champion, and a bloke that once raced in a meeting 
where Jensen Button was on the same card. You know, how I about 1988 Formula Ford champion? Well, yeah, all right, yeah. Not Bernardi Jordan, is it? Uh, David Coulthard. It actually mm. probably wasn't 88. It's probably later than that. But. Yes, and a bloke that shared a dressing room with 1988. <laughs> Formula Ford champion David Kill. No, what, what about a man uh, who buys his shoes from the same shop as Keith Urban? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's very good. Australian R and B quintet. Really? The Five Sheilas. Jacoby. Jacoby, mate. <laughs> Hi, boom round. We keep coming back for a rehab for a tour. Mo- moving on. And leave uh, that now, please. Leave it now. This between this and Formula Three, I, I really, I. I'm pleased there's nothing sharp in the studio at the moment. <laughs> Where to now? Shall we talk to Mr. Johnny Palmer? Let's talk to Mr. Johnny Palmer. Evening all. <laughs> Very good. Very good indeed. I've just um, brought him a drink because uh, uh, I thought his voice was suffering earlier. So uh, he's, uh, he's he's got something to uh, keep his, uh, his his voice box lubricated. JP, let's quickly look back at the at Fuji at the uh, at the weekend. Um, we, we've talked a little bit about the prelude to it earlier on, and uh, one or two bits and pieces. Um, uh, a little bit of rain at Fuji in October, and Toyota one and two. Ground, not really groundbreaking news. Uh, that although the Toyotas were perhaps one might say quote unquote the wrong way around. You could say that, yeah, but I, I thought it was quite a fair fight, actually, and it was encouraging from Toyota that they are willing to allow the seven car to take victory, from time to time, at least. We'll see whether that becomes <laughs> enough of a pattern that the seven car fights the eight fairly for the championship. I, that's more of a question mark for me. Um, yeah, Toyota dominant, but, but it was fascinating to watch them try and get their tyre decision right, as it was with every uh, team, really, because... You're right, it was raining. I mean, qualifying held completely in the dry and actually the race was wet going into being consistently dry and it turned out to be quite a nice day in the end after about 3pm. They raced till 5. But the difficulty was that although the Toyotas were running intermediates at times and slick tyres at other times, they couldn't get any heat into the tyres. And actually, so much so that the the 8 car had to pit and scratched the tyres that it was on because they'd gone over a cliff. They then couldn't go fast enough to generate the tyre temp, and it was better to change to a new set that had been in the ovens and then try and retain the tyre temperature in the new set. So that was really interesting to watch. Of course, they've got the freedom in this this season to be able to do that and to make the odd tweak as well to the bodywork, which we've seen in earlier races. You know, they changed, I don't think, a full rear deck, but they were able to tweak rear wing settings at least um and i asked paul truswell at the time you know this is a luxury that they've got being the only hybrid cars in the race and mm. were their porsches and audis pushing them every way would they have that flexibility that's a, that, that's a fair point a rebellion racing uh, on the podium again with one of their cars a bit of a mixed weekend for them it was the neil yani and uh, andre lotterer and bruno seneca that uh, was the best of the p1 private is ahead of smp racing for Elotion, Petrov and JB. Uh, more issues uh, with reliability that cost them uh, the well, five laps that would have put them on the uh, podium. Yeah, true. But, I mean, the, the, the big issue with reliability was with the other car when mm. after 10 or 11 laps of a stint, its front wheel fell off. 
And that's just crazy. I mean, I don't understand why that would happen. Yeah, okay, on an outlap, if the wheel's not been attached correctly. Um, but to my, to my knowledge, they have little retaining pins so that even if it's not securely on, it falls back onto that fail-safe. Now, there were ongoing issues through free practice about curbs being ripped up, those sausage mm. curbs that had to be either re-bolted down after sessions or just entirely removed. And I just wonder whether that gave the freedom then for cars to go well over the curbs and across that little lip that sits on the outer edge of the kerb so that they're then going on the, the grass creed, if you like, and then mm. as they come back onto the circuit, yeah, is point. that putting undue pressure on the hub? I don't know, but uh, both one of the SMP cars and the Delara, the number 29 uh, racing team Netherlands car, suffered the same problem, front wheels falling off. I've never seen that before. Great weekend in P2, 6th and 7th overall for Jackie Chan DC Racing. The uh, Jafar Tan Jeffrey car ahead of the Hopington Aubrey and Stefan Raquelmi uh, car in second. And a fabulous weekend for Signatech Alpine Matmut. Not necessarily the result that they possibly desired with the 36 car in third in LMP2, but they did get their Le Mans trophy, although it's only a replica because the uh, Russian team that was. Uh, disqualified from Le Mans, still haven't returned. But plenty of smiles, nevertheless, from Signatech Alpine Matmut. Yeah, finally, four months after they won that uh, trophy. I know that was decided in the stewards' room, but then with the ongoing court cases and appeals and whatnot, then it's taken till October to be awarded a a trophy that they won in June. But, uh, you know, yeah, okay, big grins there. They won't be that impressed with Jackie Chan DC Racing having a good race, though, because their points lead is now Mm. down to a single point heading to Shanghai. And we've got three LMP2 teams so tightly bunched there. A great story, though, for the young Malaysian kids who were second at Silverstone and, as you say, now win that race. And they have put themselves properly in the ballpark for the championship. Yeah. Uh, they have 86, and Signatech LP Matt have 87. Uh, in GT Le Mans Pro, GTE Pro, excuse me, I'm still in American mode, uh, it was uh, a double winning weekend for the Porsche Works team. One at Petit Le Mans, also won in Fuji with Kevin Estre and Michael Christensen ahead of BMW. Nice to see BMW going well. And another podium for Harry Tinknell and Andy Prio. Um, that's pretty good. And Ferrari were fourth as well. So uh, top four uh, different manufacturers. New Aston Martin uh, down in sixth position, the best of them. In GTE Arm, a bit of controversy because there was a, a change in the result afterwards. This was all down to fuel fill time. So similar problems to that which uh, meant the Le Mans result had to be changed. And so it was uh, Team Project One, York Bergmeister Patrick Lindsay. And Agidio Perfetti, who ended up as the winners. Everyone else advances one because the Pro- Dempsey Proton car was thrown out. So TF Sport caught a second. And Paul Dallalano, Pedro Lamy and uh, Matthias Lauder go up into third position. Uh, it's a bit odd, isn't it, when you go to bed at night and you've come in fourth and then you wake up in the morning and all of a sudden you've found your third. Yeah. We should make the point that 56 did actually win the race outright, you know, legitimately. Though. Yes, but, indeed. It was the second place car. That, yeah, the that, Team Project 1 yeah. guys who have been knocking on the door, it's fair to say. And Egidio Perfetti, who came into the Michelin Le Mans Cup a couple of years ago now with what was at the time a brand new Porsche GT3, the 991 spec GT3 car. And um, he, you know, his, his day job is making sweets. 
just like Daniele Perfetti, his brother, a former British GT winner, um, but has proven to be actually very quick in that Porsche. A couple of spins during the race, but ably supported by a really good stint by Patrick Lindsay and um, York Bergmeister, you know, a master in whatever he drives. So they were winners. But yes, this fueling thing is <laughs> not going to go away, is it? It's, no. It sounds like it's a very similar thing that happened with the 26 G-Drive car in LMP2. I tell you, the way, I mean, the te- we, we should make the point the team have denied all knowledge of this yeah, extra yeah, yeah. bit of, um, uh, what would you call it, so, sort of uh, data um, software found somewhere within the system. But yes, this signal was found uh, send it, being sent that was intentionally modifying the data before it reached the FIA. And there's some sort of data set in there that it was increasing the actual pit time by two seconds so in reality the the pit stops were two seconds short of what they should have been um mm. and the, the, therefore what i'm reading into it is that the fuel's going in too quickly yeah and obviously the regulations stipulate that the fuel flow is closely policed and mustn't be quicker than a certain time uh and the data being sent was being adjusted by this two second margin team have got quite a bit of explaining to, to do and uh, as a result uh, both the 88 and the 77 were giving time penalties to address that. And as you say, the 90 TF Sport Aston and the 98 Aston Martin benefited because of those penalties. I keep uh, telling you time travel's possible, and, yeah. and they've proved it. Yeah. Shanghai, uh, the next round, uh, then a bit of a break before they are back uh, in the early part of next year. But we're not letting you have any kind of break, uh, Johnny. VLN 9, title decider on Saturday and it all gets even more complicated because the dropped scores are coming into it now you're allowed to you only have to score seven of nine events it was round eight last time out so you ditch your two worst classifications which is actually good news for the team that are leading at the moment Stefan Kohler and Christian Kohlhaus in the Ferrari 458 have got seven victories in seven races uh, Mike Yeager, who is their teammate, missed one of the races. But, of course, because of dropped scores, he's still in with a chance of the championship. That's right. And, of course, Norbert Fischer, Christian Connert and Daniel Zeals are going pretty well, too. I mean, the way the points work is that you are given points to, to two decimal places as well, remember. Yes. So, uh, Norbert Fischer, Ke- uh, Christian Connert and Daniel Zeals are on 65.45 of a point and they had a non-score in the sixth round and then I can't even work it out but there are 64 64.88 points uh, for as you say Stefan Collar and Christian Colhouse with Mike Yeager trailing after he missed the sixth round as well but um, it's nice that cars in not so much the obvious classes uh, are on course for victory in this uh, remember it's Michael Schreid defending the champion, championship and he's too far adrift now to uh, repeat that so we could well have a class v5 porsche cayman take victory um if not it's going to be a lower class bmw um so yeah puts puts the limelight in those lower classes that still work incredibly hard and arguably sometimes have a a bigger fight than if you were in sp9 and sp10 because there are far more cars in those categories and And that's where the that's where the the points are adjusted accordingly there you get more points there's like a multiplier isn't there if there's more points in the class so it's not as if oh right well let's enter a class that's only got two entries all year and then we'll always be first or second against some poor so-and-so who's in maybe 
V4, which this year has had over 20 cars entered on average, then obviously it's a more difficult job. But if you are in one of those classes, your points are multiplied. It's like a degree of difficulty in diving, isn't it? It's a brilliant system. Yeah, it is. And, you know, utilised in other championships around the world as well. In the UK, when sometimes some championships struggle for numbers, uh, that's the only way to do it. Because, as you say, if you're winning your class every week, but it's it's only got you in it, then it's a relatively easy job compared to winning, for instance, uh, the, the BMW M235i uh, Class 5 division. So, yeah, nearly 10 points for a win in a 25-car field you only get half that if it's just you so um it makes for a fairer run to the finish and then the drop scores the dreaded drop scores uh mm. as far as you know commentators are concerned have to be weaved into there as well and, and heading into this final round there's already a line through your worst one so far this year yeah good point uh and you'll have the abacus out at the weekend, as usual, in sound and vision uh, across the weekend. Check the foot of the page at RadioLamont.com for the schedule. Uh, we're at the time of year as well, uh, Johnny, where weather could play a part here. Uh, we've been pretty lucky this year with the VLN, haven't we? Not too bad. The first round was fogged off. Um, <laughs> hey, careful the... how you say that. I, I was. Very good. Uh, and the 8.30 qualifying start went for a Burton I think they were delayed by at least 90 minutes and that meant that the race start was uh, askew too but otherwise I mean you know I, I don't mind a bit of rain as long as it's a bit and with the Nordschleife it could be raining on one bit and not the other so that makes it more interesting what we don't want is a full-on deluge which could bring out a stoppage because uh, everyone wants to race for the full four hours if possible for the final event. Uh, Nordschleife are looking very autumnal now with mm. lots of different coloured trees and the leaves starting to break away as well. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great championship in that, you know, we start in March and we end in nearly November, a couple of weeks short of that, but a, a nice span of the year and it means that people can go racing elsewhere as well as take part in as many VLNs as they can. It's also... You know, this hotbed of brand new machinery, as we've seen from Porsche, we've seen from Aston Martin, we've seen from Mercedes too. Um, there is still a provisional entry list yet to be released, but I'm, mm. I'm foaming at the mouth, as it were, to find out, you know, what new cars we're going to have on, on that for the final event of the year. Fantastic. Johnny, thank you very much indeed for all your hard work. I'll be tuned in at the weekend uh, because I think, well, I'll be able to hear some of it at least before I do the Forza thing. Uh, cheers, mate. Pleasure. Midweek Motorsport. Half time. And while we swap ends, here's what's coming up. So slightly earlier than usual, that jingle. Uh, still to come in the hour and a bit of tonight's Midweek Motorsport. Uh, Declan Brennan will be joining us for some American news. He's had his ear on a couple of ovals, one of them a dirt oval, which presumably means he's got dirty ears. Uh, let's move on from that uh, but coming up next uh, we will be heading to the phones for some news on the Asian Le Mans series that's next here on Midweek Motorsport on RS1 part of the Radio Show Limited network of channels Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMans.com so 
into the second hour, near enough, of Midweek Motorsports Series 13, episode 40. And let's go to the phones. News yesterday of a drastic expansion by United Autosports. Two LMP3s and two LMP2s into the Asian Le Mans Series. We'll talk with a couple of their drivers in a moment. But first, welcome to Midweek Motorsport to uh, the man uh, behind United Autosports, Richard Dean. Richard, uh, it seems like you're not going to have uh, much of an off-season and time off during the winter. Yeah, there, there isn't really a break in our seasons anymore, but that's been the case for a little while now. So uh, when most people look at a you know, European season ending in October, starting again in, in April, I was 10 to be 52 weeks of the year. Uh, and is that why the... Asian Le Mans series is attractive, Richard, in that you can use the use the facilities, you can sweat the assets, if you will, for the whole of the the whole of the uh, the calendar year, not just a season year. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, you know we've got a big overhead, we've got a big facility, we're just moving into another facility over the winter. We've got a lot of staff, and you can't have them sat idle. Um, you know, otherwise motorsport does become seasonal and you end up um, cycling through staff so we always, we always kept always kept our staff on 52 weeks so i reckon then that's two lmp2s and two lmp3s in the asian le mans series will, will you leave them out there for the for the whole of the the season uh for the whole of the asian le mans series correct yes they've already gone <laughs> they're already out there um yeah. and in in terms of the uh, the competition itself, this is still a, a series that is is in development. Uh, I, I suppose the uh, the opportunity for some Le Mans entries is something that caught your eye. Um, yeah, there's a few combinated reasons why we're doing it, um, uh, and the Le Mans entries are really attractive. Um, we're hoping that we already get a Le Mans entry. Um, irrespective of results in Asia. But just in case we don't, and you never know, ACO always keep uh, keep you guessing. Um, but just in case we don't, if there's a, another opportunity to win a guaranteed entry, then Asian Le Mans offers it. Now, now clearly you're not doing out of this out of your goodness of your heart. It's a business proposition. So, it, therefore, um, sponsors, drivers potentially with budget coming in uh, are looking at this series and saying, hey, it looks good value for money. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, there's a few, the, the way that the drivers can look at it is a few different uh, a different ways. Obviously, if they've got a sponsor with interest in Asia, then fantastic. Um, but equally for us, it, it's suddenly become a much, a much more relevant winter test program. So if we can actually have drivers who we are uh, committed to for our European Le Mans program, then... It, it makes sense to run them in Asia if we can put the deal together. So instead of trying to get some mileage across circuits in Europe through December, January and February, where it's pretty miserable and pretty inconsistent in, in weather, you know, we can be in Asia and you've got weather, but you're also doing, um, you know, the, the, the whole team's operating together. You've got full course yellows, you've got race starts, you've got qualifying, you've got new tyres. You know, all, all difficult things to simulate on a test day. 
I, I, you're not suggesting to me, surely, that uh, Shanghai and Fuji and Burinam and Malaysia are, are better to go to than a wet Wednesday afternoon at Pembrey, Croft or, or Snetterton, are you? I mean, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, suddenly Pembrey doesn't seem that far away um, <laughs> when, in, when you're comparing it to going to Shanghai. But, yeah, when you get there, there's probably a few... A few more uh, different hotels, let's say, or less standard is, is different. Uh, let's let's talk about the driving talent that we can for the the P two program that was announced earlier on this week. There are going to be two cars. The drivers we know about. Let's talk about Paul DeResta uh, first of all. You already know a little bit about Paul. He's he's got a bit of history with you. Yeah, Paul. Paul's done. Um, he, he did Daytona twenty four hours with us. Um, and he did uh, Sebring with us, and we did Watkins Glen with us, and all very, very successfully. Um, and contribute to the team enormously, and contribute to Phil Hansen's development. They got on really, really well. Um, you know, we we were on pole position at Watkins Glen, so the the pace is there. Not that that's ever in any doubt for anybody who knows Paul and his history. Um, you know, he's he's just been very unlucky in not quite clinching the DTM championship at the last round at the weekend, but he's led that series for a long period of time. And um, anybody who's running at the front in DTM, when you look at the quality of those drivers, then, you know, we're, we're lucky to have him as, as part of the team. It's quite incredible, really. Paul, obviously part of the Sky Formula One commentary team. That means he's travelling out to Austin, Texas for the race this weekend. But I caught up with him on the phone earlier this week and had a quick chat with him. Uh, looking forward to um, getting back reunited, um, following on from where we obviously finished in Watkins Glen uh, the middle of this year. Um, and I think the task ahead is to very much just try and um, look ahead and get more driving experience with Phil, try and bring him along. And uh, ultimately, if we can, and dates allow, uh, to hopefully do some more stuff um, next year as well. Did you enjoy the the stuff that you did in America? And has, has that in some ways been part of the decision-making process here to say, yeah, come on, we'll give that a go? Uh, definitely. I think endurance racing is something that, um, you know, I'm not saying I didn't, it didn't appeal to me very early on in my career. I was very driven, uh, Formula One, and um, obviously, uh, sprint racing um, but the, the task at Daytona when Zach offered me it um, it was a race that uh, I was at the right point in my career um, to go and have a go and I think the biggest thing that it drove just driving me to want to do more is purely just working with United uh, they're a great bunch of people uh, I knew Richard I didn't know him that well um, but just getting to know every single person and every individual that's involved in it um, has just worked and gelled and um, you know, we've had some good results with them. Nearly had a great result in Le Mans, um, albeit, you know, I crashed the car. But what it has done is just given us um, a relationship and a trustworthy relationship that, you know, um, that fits in around my other racing programs, which is very much the understanding and how we how we like to go about it. And I think Phil as well, he's an up-and-coming talent. Um, he's very young. He's not got a huge amount of experience, but um, for what he's doing at the age he's doing, I can tell you, um, hopefully one day he'll develop into a very um, a very nicely polished off uh, endurance racer, which I think is ultimately his goal. 
did you find yourself having to put yourself into a, a slightly different mindset when you were at the Rolex 24 Daytona? Multi-class racing, lots of overtaking, widespread of car performance and, and driver talent. Yeah, I think that was the biggest thing. You know, it wasn't really a level playing field when we were in Daytona with the BOP um, racing against DPI cars. But listen, we never gave up. We were fighting and, um, you, you know, sharing a car with three other teammates at that time as well. Um, it, it was the experience. And the whole thing grabbed me, you know, from the time that you had in the RV to engineering briefings to sharing the car and actually all having an individual task ahead of you. Um, it all started very early on in the year. It set me up nicely for that. And um, I think the biggest thing is how just how busy it was, you know. I always wondered about doing, um, you know, three-hour stints in the car, um, whether, you know, whether you were up to it and whether you were going to enjoy it. And to be honest, they passed so quick because of how busy it was. Uh, uh, yeah, and, and that's, I mean, that's a sign that you're enjoying yourself, Paul, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think that's the, that is the big thing about it. You know, when they're, when they're talking about quadruple stints, um, which is generally dictated by, you know, the fuel and how much you use, um, you know, I was happy to carry on for a fifth stint at times. So, um, you know, you, you get the urge and when you start being consistent and when you're pushing, um, you know, it's not all about just the fuel saving, the endurance part of it. When it when it got into the nitty gritty of it, and in both races I've done, kind of both 24s I've had, we've had mechanical issues early on that you've been fighting back. So there is only one way to kind of deal with that and that is absolutely pedal to the metal <laughs> and balls out to make it work. If it doesn't, um, you know, if it doesn't work, then, you know, that that's the way it was. But we've not found ourselves in a controlling situation where you're just trying to get to the end and trying to hang on to the result. We've been chasing the result all the way through, and that's what I've enjoyed, the aggressive part of it and taking every risk possible. Not that long, Paul, to the start of the 18-19 Asian Le Mans series. It's a, uh, in, in common with the WEC now, it's a, a, a winter stroke uh, spring series uh, and Shanghai, Fuji, Burunam in Thailand and then finishing off at Sepang in Malaysia. Some cracking circuits now. Good challenge. There is some good circuits. You know, I've raced on a couple of them, obviously, in Malaysia and Shanghai uh, in my F1 days. Uh, they're all very big open tracks. Um, and I think that's one of the big things uh, that appealed to me, which is where, where the countries are going to and the events are going to. I hope it picks up momentum. I've heard the entry list is looking good. I've heard it's uh, is an up-and-coming series. Uh, but the, there is an objective of why we're doing it, and I think that is just to try and get me to working together. Purely um, try and put a little bit more in his hands as well, a little bit more pressure, try and ramp it up. Um, I really just go out there and, and see how the events unfold. Um, it's a good time of the year as well to be out there yeah. in the heat racing, um, setting yourself up after this year's kind of finished um, because it, it, the way I see this it falls into the 2019 season and not 2018 yeah exactly so and as you said you can dovetail that into uh, into the other stuff you're doing and what else are we going to see you doing in 2019 Paul your driving talent is uh, is remarkable and somewhat underutilised in the last few years what you what you're going to be uh, what you're going to be doing full time um, I'll be fairly busy, John. Uh, um, I can't share it quite yet. I'm sure people will know in good time where it's going to be. Um, well, that's it's good news. been um, It's been an exciting year to try and find out exactly where that was going to be because the end of Mercedes-Benz and DTM and that relationship Indeed. I've had with them um, in that series has kind of stopped. So it was kind of, you know, in the best way, 
um, to set yourself up. I'm, I'm 32 years old, so you know you can easily build relationships, but they still hold a very warm heart in your heart for where you've been as a professional racing driver. And you know, sitting down with them and a- actively, a- actually um, banging our heads together to ensure what the best program was going to be, we've all come up with a solution. Um, there was a, a very good push from a certain direction, which you'll know soon. Okay. Um, but you know, I'm fairly happy with it, and I think you know, combining that with Sky as well on the TV. Um, I'm probably not going to have many weekends free, but listen, it's uh, while well, you're young, um, I'll kind of grab it. All the opportunities I can do. So, Paul, obviously a known quantity and certainly um, uh, very experienced. Not quite so much experience with Phil Hansen, but my goodness me, he's got some talent, Richard, hasn't he? Uh, you're talking about Paul or Phil now, because <laughs> it definitely, you know, I mean, Paul has really brought Phil on, as, as has Philippe Albuquerque. And we always had high hopes for... Uh, the Phil from what we'd seen with him, you know, he's current, he's not current Asian Le Mans series, but he won the Asian Le Mans series um, at his first go and uh, in, in LMP3. And so there's obviously potential there. There's a huge step up to LMP2, but he's been racing alongside the very best um, to learn from. And, and I, I think he's surprised an awful lot of people. You know, he's been doing, two and a half, three hour stints in the illness back to back. His fitness is there, his focus is there. And he won last time out in, in Spa. So, you know, it says everything. Yeah, against a very good field as well. Uh, we've uh, got Phil on the phone right now. So let's hear what the young man has to say. Uh, Phil, you've driven with some cracking drivers in the time. And uh, Danny there saying that you're able, able to take that in. Has that been important in developing yourself as a driver? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely played a big role in developing my own um, personal experiences and, and skills. I think a lot of it is um, is actually away from the track. So when you talk about debriefs and the way you articulate yourself to the engineers, I think that's been the, the greatest help is being able to be more clear with the things I needed to point out and the things I really actually needed to, to leave out of debriefs and things like that. Is that is that as much a confidence thing, do you think, Phil? Of, of sit, well, you know, I'm, I'm the new boy. I'm, I'm still a teenager virtually, you know, and you've got to be able to effectively stand up for yourself. Yeah, maybe the, not necessarily the confidence thing, but also just an experience thing with understanding of what they, what they need to hear and what they don't. You know, some things prioritising, you know, um, what's most important and what they need to change for the next sessions, knowing the run plan and things. Now, you've got some experience of the Asian Le Mans series. You've been a, uh, you've been a champion out there, of course. Are you looking forward to going back? Yeah, I am. Um, they've changed the calendar with one with the first race moving from Zhuhai to Shanghai, so I think that's a bit of an improvement as well. But the rest of the calendar is the same, so um, so I should have some experience around the rest of the tracks. Um, like you said, I won the championship, so I feel quite comfortable going back, and I'm looking forward to racing at um, some really really good tracks as well. Um, P two, uh, you've had experience with the P two, fabulous result that was uh, at Spa in, in front of, as I said to Danny, in front of a. A really quality field. That must have been very satisfying. Yeah, it was quite satisfying. Um, not as satisfying as it would have been maybe if we won the race with a checkered flag at the end. but uh, when... Rather than a red flag, of course, yes. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, it is a bit of a, a boost. I think it boosts us more into the next race at Portimao than it maybe does in the Asian series. But um, but entering the Asian series, having won it before, I think is the, the biggest boost, knowing that I can do it. So, yeah. 
Phil, where's, where, do, where does your ambition want to take you? What what are you looking at in, in medium term? Obviously, short term, we know you're going to be out with United Autosport and, and Paul DeResta out in the Asian series. Medium term and long term, where do you see yourself? Well, I think the future nowadays is um, leaning towards sports cars with with all sorts of politics um, going off in F1. And I think all these... Uh, all these changes in sports cars probably for the better. So I think a lot of drivers nowadays are looking at sports cars as a more accessible route to go for a career. So I think that's probably what I'm going to end up doing in the future. I'd like to stay in sports cars. I mean, the racing's are really competitive now. Like you said, the field at Spa was uh, was really strong. So I think if we can continue somewhere in the place we are now, maybe in a, a P1 class in the future or something like that, it'd be great. If I'd ask you that question five years ago, maybe seven years ago, would you still been thinking single seaters moving forward? Yeah, maybe, but um, I only came into karting late, so really we didn't True. we didn't have any idea of what we were going to do with the cars. But at that point, I remember only thinking about F one. I didn't really know what sort of that sports cars were such a big area, and all the racing in in the states and DTM and all these things. I didn't realize they were so big as as they are now. Was the one thing that did changed your mind? I mean, Formula One obviously is is incredibly difficult to get into, but most most young drivers have have that as their ultimate aim. Was the one thing, one particular occurrence, or something that you saw that changed your mind? Yeah, it was it was probably doing Le Mans for the first time actually. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's obviously it's going to change a lot of people's mind, but I think Le Mans is just such a special event. I think um, anyone that does it can probably back me up in saying that that people just want to go back and just continue to win it. I think even once you won it, you want to win it again. It's that great, you know. What's it been like working with United Autosports, Dini, and, and the the guys there? Have you enjoyed that experience? Yeah, I've really enjoyed the experience, and I'm really fortunate to have been given the opportunity to race with them. Um, they're, they're really experienced guys, and like you said, they put me with really good drivers, which helps bring me on. Um, and not only that, it's just a really nice environment to work in. Um, everyone's really friendly and, and helpful, and, and everyone's still got the same drive to win. So I think it's a, just a really well-balanced environment. So the... Uh, Asian Le Mans Series is a four-round championship. All of the races are uh, four hours or more uh, for Formula One circuits. But you are finished quite early in the year. What's the plans for the rest of 2019? Um, I'm not sure yet. I think a few things are still to be announced. I'm not sure what I can say, but... um... (laughs) Uh, don't get yourself in trouble. I'm not. Don't yeah, worry. It's, it's not Jeremy Paxman here. I'm. I'm not trying to trip you up or anything. Yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, there'll probably be a couple of months to get some preseason testing on the way, um, and uh, yeah, then I plan to stay in Europe. So, um, so it should be quite good as well. Like you said, it, it does finish early in the year, but also at the same time, you get to drive through the winter, and a lot of people are, you know, taking the break. Well, and and I mean that's the point that Dini was making. It's a bit like winter testing, except more more competitive and is that that's how he looks at it from the team point of view is that how you look at it as a driver that you could be pounding around doing spending money spending time just doing testing at least in in, in this it, you you know you're doing all that you're getting the experience you're getting the experience of working with the team but you're actually being competitive at the same time yeah exactly and in pre-season testing the inexperience you don't gain is you know you're not out there racing so um so when you get a bit of a head start on people that are just testing or maybe even taking the break I think it's it's only a positive because when you're racing, you're still getting a lot of testing and, you know, the race weekend testing. And I think that's also probably a benefit as well, being able to, to test up on the, like a, a live event. And then you've got mm. the, the data from all the other cars and everything. Um, will we see you at Le Mans this year? Again, I'm not, I'm not 
push. I'm not pushing for anything. Yeah, any I, secrets. I think, I think I think we. I will be at Le Mans this year. Good one way or Good for you. It is a great event. Phil, I wish you all the best. Always a pleasure uh, talking to you. And uh, try and enjoy that uh, that horrible, cold British winter. Oh, no. Hang on. You won't have to worry about that, will you? Yeah, I won't have to worry about that. Exactly. Yeah, I'll be, uh, I'll be enjoying the, the humid temperatures in China and um, Malaysia and Thailand. Thanks, Phil. And, uh, and good luck. So we'll finish off with you, uh, Richard, in terms of, of how this dovetails into everything else that you're doing. We've seen you in the States with United Autosport, Rolex and various things in the past. Um, are you still going to be able to do some of that stateside stuff or does that have to go by the board here with that winter series in the, the Asian Le Mans series? Uh, that definitely has to go by the board for this coming winter. Um, Asian Mon is a big commitment with, with four cars, two P3 and two P2 cars. So pretty difficult to, to run a IMSA program, you know, even though it's Daytona and Sebring are spread through January and March. Mm. It's, it's, it's pretty difficult to do. Um, and, and coupled with the fact that, you know, the recent announcement on the IMSA changes where LMP2 will now be separated, isolated from the DPI um, and become a sort of, I don't know how to word that, a secondary class, a B class, if you like, in yeah. prototypes. Um, it makes it harder for us as a team to go to Daytona and put together a program as high profile as we did last year um, when, when you're not challenging for the overall win. I mean, it just seems to me, um, I mean, I understand why IMSA have done that because clearly there's pressure from the, the manufacturers who put a lot of money into the sport. But it seems to me that they got the balance of performance pretty right uh, through the middle t- and towards the end of the season. In fact, core autosport, Colin Brown, John Bennett, still challenging for the for the title all the way through to, well, Petit Le Mans, actually, at the end of the season, just, just last weekend. Uh, and that, that must have been quite quite uh, enticing to you guys to be able to go out there with the big boys, but you're seeing a separate P2 class perhaps not quite not quite as interesting to you guys or not quite as good of a business decision. Uh, both, you know, I mean, it, it, we, it's interesting from a, we all want to go there and win and challenge for the overall win is what really motivates you. And from a you know, business decision, it's hard to put together because the costs to run an LMP2 car are exactly the same, irrespective of this decision to elevate the, the DPIs to a higher performance, a higher lap time, or slow the, the LMP2s. I'm, I'm not quite sure which way they're going to do that. But either way, um, the costs are the same to run an LMP2 car. Um, so, yeah, we, we were disappointed. But, you know, like you said, I, I understand why they did it. The, the manufacturers in DPI, the, the, they're trying to get them to invest heavily in the series. And those guys don't want to put big money into that and then race against people like us who just turn up at Watkins Glen and stick it on pole. Um, and, and, and as you quite rightly said, Core Autosport have challenged right the way through the season. Colin brought races for us in Europe in the Mitchell and Long Cup and a you know, quality driver and a, and a, a cracking little team there with Core, and have taken it right down to the wire. And I, I think that you know, personally, that's quite exciting. The DPI and P2 um, competition, and it adds more cars to the grid when you've got them challenging for overall wins. Um, and it will be interesting to see whether other teams take that same view as us and, and drop P2 
from the programmes. Uh, there is an opportunity, of course, with the new IMSA regulations that P2 becomes rather like the World Endurance Championship. It becomes genuinely pro-am. So your amateur drivers, your gentleman drivers, those guys who don't drive for a living, have got the opportunity of, of competing on a slightly more level playing field than going up against a works Cadillac or a works Acura Penske. Does that open any opportunities potentially even for the odd one-off entry? Um, not not for anything that's conflicting with what we're doing in Asia, just purely from a, you know, logistics and personnel and, and, and being able to actually do the job properly at IMSA at the same time as we're in Shanghai or Fuji or whatever. But, yeah, you know, like listen, we we I personally loved the IMSA program. I absolutely loved the racing out there. I enjoyed all the events that we did, and and I've been trying to put an IMSA deal together in DPI for United Autosports to 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 go out there. We, we haven't managed to do that yet, and it won't happen next year. Um, and I'm, I'm very very interested, spectator, in in how that unfolds. With uh, as you're saying, you know, if, if that actually does become a pro-am class for p2 mm. and, and and how that fits and what the enthusiasm for for that type of class is and exactly. what the coverage and exposure is uh, and that that's the key of course if you're not at the very sharp end of the field are, you know are your sponsors being seen are, are your cars being talked about you, you preempted my next question richard you and i have talked together far too many times over the years about about dpi but as an adjunct to that comment that you made there would you uh, in those conversations that you had are you looking for a new manufacturer or are you looking to tap up one of the current manufacturers uh, to to get one of uh, one of the chassis engine combinations that's already available i'd be quite happy if either option offered a you know a route for us to go and, and race there competitively i'm not i'm not hung up on um being a second third or fourth car with an existing manufacturer as long as we can go and compete you know we we've, we've got an awful lot of what we need to go racing in america in place because we have a, a, a relationship. I think you and I talked about with Andretti's. It's a it's a, a formal relationship that we've got there. They were immensely helpful at Andretti Autosport w- with our whole data and a program, IMSA program that we did last year. And we our, we based ourselves in Indianapolis. We've got the facility to use there. Um, so we, we've got all the hard stuff sort of done. It's just uh, you know. A, I say we've got all the hard stuff done. The, the hard stuff is, you know, a, a budget as always to go. Well, you've got everything in the background. So if the budget turned up, yeah. you could push the button relatively easy. It's, it, it's. I'm not going to ask for for exact figures, but in terms of the budget, is it comparable to run a, a DPI from what you've looked at as it is to run a P2? Is it more? Is it less? Is it about the same? It, it seems to be more because I think that from what I've seen. The, the inquiries that we've made, the engine deal is is more expensive than the Gibson en- engine deal. And, you know, it makes sense because, you know, Gibson have got probably 30, 40 engines out there right. with, with their P2 program based on a, a cost over a five-year period that they've got that commitment from the ACO on, on, uh, on LMP2, where a lot of the DPI projects are, are new. And mm-hmm. we all know that, you know, cost in the initial years is always high and, and starts to wind down as as uh, 
as those programs develop. Mm. Um, but clearly, you've looked at that quite seriously. So the door is uh, not closed. So any uh, any manufacturers or current DPI manufacturers or new DPI man- manufacturers who or representatives thereof who are listening, you know how to get in touch uh, with Richard. Because of course, you couldn't possibly have any time off. You just fit that into the twenty fifth, twenty sixth, and twenty seventh hours of the day, wouldn't you? <laughs> Yeah, well, we we have enough people and we have enough kit and equipment and all these programs. It looks big, it looks huge, and our planning meetings are quite interesting. But the, each one uh, has its own project manager, its own team manager, its own crew, so they they run independently. So we don't look upon them as having you know fourteen or fifteen cars and a and a team out every race weekend. We we look at them as individual two car teams that run, run independently. Um, they just happen to be on conflicting weekends. Uh, there's a lot of choice, uh, Richard, uh, for racing these P2 and, and P3 cars. In that respect, then, is that formula working? And from a business point of view, is it is it a good time to be running in endurance racing, in prototype endurance racing? Um, it's certainly a good time for United Autosports at the moment because I think you know we've we've had a successful couple of years, which always makes it easier, more enjoyable. Um, you know, it's um, but you know we're well aware that you know you can have a bad year and uh, and things become a lot more a lot more difficult. Um, I think you know LMP3 is showing showing no signs of of slowing down or, or people losing interest in that. You know. I, it's busy. We're busy fielding inquiries. Um, yeah, I think LMP3 has been a, a real, uh, a real boost, a real injection yes. for sports car racing generally. And um, LMP2, I think you know, it's uh, the new, the new class, the new cars are sort of for me. It's it's changed the look a little bit of it because these cars are so fast. And you look at the times that they're doing around Le Mans, for example, it's incredible. Yes. Um, so it's it's less of a a place for the the, the gentleman enthusiast, yes, whatever you want to call them, the bronze driver. Yeah, um, which which changes the business angle. It changes the the, the funding aspect and where you're looking at. Um, the budgets are still big. You know, in the real world, it's it's crazy money. But uh, you know, it's, it's Le Mans there at the pinnacle. You end up in P two. Everybody's got their eye on Le Mans, and that mm. still has this incredible draw an incredible ambition for everybody you guys haven't dabbled yet in in the privateer p1 side of things i, I bet you've looked at it though uh, that's a seems to be a bit of a transitional formula at the moment with the new hypercar class being proposed but we've not seen any regs there in you know if the opportunity arrives arises we talk about dpi and going for overall victories united autosports i know are set up to to be able to challenge at the very highest level, what what would interest you as United Autosports to if the ACO and the WAC came up with a the new top class? Is it hypercars or is it something more akin to the current P1 privateer regs? Um, yeah, it's a debate you and I can have in a pub over a few pints on on. On the, for hours. Hang on, are you offering to buy there, Deanie? Come on. No, no, actually, it's one that we could have. Um, <laughs> you, know, sh- you know, should should the ACO have gone with a you know something more closer 
to like a DPI or this the new hypercar or the privateer F1, uh, sorry, privateer LMP1 regulations that they've got. And, you know, that debate can, can go on. Everybody's got different views on it. But for me, what would entice us in is clarity of regulations, consistency and, and longevity of whatever they are. When they land on it, if we believe that that is, is fixed in the same way that LMP2 has been fixed for five years and the same way that LMP3 was fixed over a long period of time, then there's a business case to study and look at and it's not something that you're going to have the rug pulled from underneath you after year two or uh, when you've made all your investment because suddenly that isn't a business proposition. It's definitely not something that, you know, it just feels more of a, you know, a, you go down at the casino and it's roulette wheel. You just don't know what's what's going to happen and you can't risk your whole business and everybody's jobs on something like that. So for me, LMP1 right now is just going through that transition that has got no real clarity, not enough for me anyway, to, to make a commitment. I'm an interested observer at this point only. Well, wish you all the best, Richard. Always lovely to talk to you and enjoy the... The winter period, such as it is, uh, a few weeks off before you're back on the road again. As you say, the car's already on on their way. And we expect nothing other than to see the United Autosports cars uh, with uh, Paul and uh, Phil and whoever else the uh, the other two drivers are. I, I take it uh, we expect them to be at the front. I take it we'll hear all about that in due course, will we? Well, you hear about the announcement on the other car soon, hopefully. Um and uh, and I hope you're right that you'll see Paul and Phil at the very front challenging through Asian Le Mans. That's what we expect. All right, mate. Thanks for joining us. Good luck for the uh, ASLMS, the Asian Le Mans series, and the rest of the uh, undertakings for United Autosport. Very busy they're going to be. Uh, Richard Dean there, and you also heard from Paul DeResta and Phil Hansen. Uh, joining us on Midweek Motorsport. On to two wheels now. And at the weekend, it was the denouement, the final of Bennett's British Superbike down at Brands Hatch. Our reporter, Kerry Cobb, was down there and managed to catch up with the new champion, Leon Haslam. He was clearly very happy with the way the season had gone. Um, over the moon. Um, it's been a, I would not say a lot of pressure, but just kind of knowing what to do. I wanted to go out there and ride like I've been doing all year. And, you know, I just didn't want to make the mistake. So I rode cautious. I've been riding tight all weekend. And I felt like I had a good pace then. And I knew Jake wasn't going to catch the Ducatis right on them last few laps. So I did settle quite early. But at the same time, it was um, a long, long race. You know, 20 laps of not knowing to push, to push. And uh, trying to keep out of trouble was, uh, wasn't easy. You were so close so many times. How nervous were you before the race? Honestly, uh, the last few years have, have been fantastic. Um, you know, first year back in 16, we, we scored the most points, but I crashed twice twice in the showdown, so that was my mistake. Um, last year, we come into the last round with a big lead and we had three mechanicals. So I, I'm really happy with what we've achieved with the Kawasaki, with the teams that we've done and, and got the most out of our package. Uh, but this year has been faultless, you know, um, 14 wins and... Uh, you know, it's just been good. We've had some fantastic battles with various people. Um, we've got wins at every track but this one. Um, so hopefully we can rectify that one little thing tomorrow. But yeah, it's mainly a big thanks to JG Speedfit team and Kawasaki and uh, everyone involved. 
Congratulations. You are the 2018 Bennett's British Superbike Champion. Well done. Thank you. And Kerry Cobb joins us now to look back on the weekend and the whole season. Uh, he was a happy bunny, but actually he's put, a, <laughs> he's put a pretty good season together, has Leon Haslam, hasn't he? You know what? I mean, it was it was a dogfight right at the end between him and Jake Dixon. But really, realistically, over the whole season, 15 wins, you've got to say, you know, bar all bar the catastrophe like what happened last season, <laughs> he was going to win it. You know, you can never say never. That's the thing. But... For me, the the highlight of the season was the when he won the when he did the hat trick at Silverstone. That's when I thought there's nobody really. Although Jake was so close, wasn't he? But Leon deserved it. He's been a long time coming, and you know I was absolutely delighted for him. Seventy points in the end looks like a big gap. I, I'm not I'm not certain that that is actually fair on Jake Dixon. He certainly he didn't have yeah. a great start to the season but he's, he's come on very well on the uh, RAF regular and reserves Kawasaki in the second half of the season and, and particularly I think back to Alton Park I thought he, he rode brilliantly there in the, yeah. the odd, odd conditions. Um, a bit more look at the beginning of the season that might have been a bit closer? Uh, it would have been a different story, totally. And and what did it for Jake was at Assen, wasn't it? When he had the uh, mechanical failure in at Assen, I think that was when he knew it was over. I mean, when you watch back the videos of him, he was literally crying. And you, you know, he'd come that close up to that point, and then I think at that point he realised that it was going to be a very very uphill struggle to do anything at Brands. I tell you what, though, Kerry, if you take out the two Kawasaki's first and second. My goodness me, how tight it was from third yes. on down. Glenn Irwin on the Beweiser Ducati on yep. 588. Four points further back, there becomes Yamaha for Josh Brooks. Yeah. Uh, I think Josh will be a dis- little bit disappointed with his season. I think he's a little bit better than that. And Peter Hickman, who I think is desperately underrated, on the Smiths yep. Racing BMW on 577. Those three riders within 11 points on three different manufacturer bikes. And you've only got a good less than 20 points, or about 20 points further back for Bradley Ray and the first of the Suzuki's. Those Kawasaki's were really in a class of their own. And, and you know, the battle for mm-hmm. third place was actually really quite enthralling. It was. You know, it was literally uh, towards the end of the, the weekend at Brands Hatch. It was all about who came third, really, mm. because, you know, obviously we found out on the Saturday that Leon had won. He, did, he, he played it beautifully on the Saturday. And it was so unlike him. When I spoke to him on the Saturday after that race, you know, he came sixth, but he did enough to get those points. He was clearly battling with the fact that he had to sit back there and just do the strategy. But the others, like you say, 28 riders, six manufacturers, 26 races, and third to sixth was so, so close. It was amazing. I mean, when we look outside the top six, uh, Tommy Bridewell wins effectively oh. the best of the rest in seventh position again on a Ducati yeah. the Rapido by two points from Jason O'Halloran yeah. on the best of the Hondas not a great season for anyone riding a Honda this year no I mean like you say the Kawasaki's were streets ahead the Ducati's were very very quick everybody else was playing catch up really but I was really pleased for Tommy Bridewell he got the Riders Cup at Brands Hatch uh, for become for being like you say the best of the rest and you know he was he played his part all season and he could have had a better season you know a, a couple of them you think you look back now and you think if only you'd done a little bit better at the start of the season you would have been right up there 
Uh, keep an eye open, I reckon, for Taron McKenzie. Yes. Uh, the McCann's Hammer, Yamaha rider, fourth, or tenth overall in the standings, fourth in the, the riders' cup behind Christian Iden, who was third. I mean, Christian Iden, there's another rider who probably yes. doesn't get the recognition he deserves on the Taiko BMW. What, what I see when I look down the final standings case is real strength in depth in the Bennett's British Superbike Championship from a lot of homegrown riders as well. You, you, you've absolutely nailed it. I mean, there is so much, there are so many great riders, so much competition. Christian Iden, you know, the last few rounds, he had a broken collarbone, a broken mm. shoulder, and he was still riding. I mean, you know, these guys are crazy, but they are so close. And what I love about it is it's really so competitive on the track, but off the track, they are all besties. I mean, some of the celebrations at the weekend, I still haven't quite recovered from. <laughs> uh, right. Final question. Uh, Leon goes on into the world. He's he's on the big stage. Is he at the right stage of his career now? Is he at the right stage mentally to go and do something? Because what we don't want to see is him getting his confidence knocked again. Um, he's he's gone there as champion. Is that is that going to help his state of mind? Definitely a hundred percent. You know the, the the Leon Haslam that I spoke to on Sunday was so different from earlier on in the season, and he is so ready for it. I mean, he was so ready for this. I mean, he's been riding since he was four years old. I mean, yeah. and he's not a spring chicken anymore. Um, so, no, he's definitely ready for it. And oh, I'm going to miss him so much. I'm going to miss Jake Dixon as well. But both both of them deserve so much. Well, they yeah, they need to go on and do more. And we, we wish Same them way. well. Thanks for thanks for jumping in and, and helping us out with this, Kerry. And hopefully you'll do more of the same next season. Love to. Thanks, guys. Kerry Cobb joining us on Midweek Motorsport, looking at the Bennett's British Superbike Championship. And uh, it's been a, been an absolute cracker. Uh, shall we get another guest up, Tim? Yes, let's hurry up and get uh, Declan Brennan. We've still got to do our competition winners, don't we forget. We do have to do that. Yeah. We'll do that at the end after news in Spanish. Let's, or oh, will there not be time for that? Uh, let's, let's get... It's very uh, funny. De- is it? Okay, let's And we've got Declan Brennan. Oh, dear. Or- or some such. Hello, Declan. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? Uh, I think I'm all right. I've, I'm just about sorted out which time zone I'm on. It helps when you drive through time zones, I always think, rather than fly through them. It sort of it happens a lot slower. <laughs> <laughs> now, well, let's let's talk oval racing to start with, but not perhaps uh, the race that everybody else was uh, watching at the weekend because you were at a NASCAR race at the weekend but not at Talladega obviously you were contractually forbidden for doing that yeah I I, uh, I took a, a, a Tinius Maximus to uh, to uh, Thompson Speedway for the finale of the regional uh, uh, Wayland modified uh, brilliant which uh, John uh, I, 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 I can't tell you how much you need to go watch Modifieds. They are... Oh, I love Modifieds. I've seen them before. Uh, was this a dirt oval or was it a paved oval? No, Thompson is a paved... Is a paved oval. It is indeed a paved oval. Thompson Speedway isn't a West Indian fast bowler. Uh, although... <laughs> Very good. Very good. But it is a... Uh, it is a, a, a fabulous uh, little uh, five, eight-mile track, which also has a road course. And the beauty of the road course is that the road course incorporates very much like uh, like the, the road course at Loudoun in New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. The track 
uh, enters and exits the road course and uses some of it. Uh, beg your pardon, the oval. Mm. The road course enters and exits the oval, uh, uh, which is uh, very cool, as opposed to being uh, within it, because it would be very hard to have a road course within a 5 eighth mile uh, effective paperclip. But it was a magnificent event, huge crowd, uh, and and... And was everything five dollars? So it was, you know, a, a, a hot dog was five dollars, a beer was five dollars, a, a burger was five dollars. Yeah, one of the one of the uh, one of the local junior sprint cars was five dollars. So it's a very cheap formula. Uh, but there were there was there was this junior sprint car racing, which was fantastic. Uh, and those things are absolutely insane on their own and do ridiculous speeds. But the final was 150 lap, and it was. Absolutely sensational! It was. It, it had uh, 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 strategy, tactics. It had ho- of like local, loads of local favourites. Uh, remarkably, only one entrant builds his own chassis, which was a, uh, which is, which tells you uh, about where racing is nowadays. One, literally, one guy builds his own uh, cars, which is a. Uh, but but it was a phenomenal event. I would stress to anybody. Uh, locally or internationally, uh, if you can, if you're if you come to the United States, make sure you try check out your local wherever you are. There'll be a local track somewhere that you should go and see because the stuff is phenomenal. Friday, Absolutely. Friday and Saturday night short track racing is is brilliant. Uh, from that to uh, the Dega uh, and uh, the latest it was described round. as the worst Dega ever by someone I spoke to. Really? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how. That could qualify as the worst Dega ever, insofar as it didn't have the big one, uh, which means more than four cars finished. Yes, good point. Uh, it had all sorts of intrigue. Uh, well, right at the end, but but it was it was kind of bonkers insofar as that. John, I'm not sure I've ever seen a race uh, at this level in the soccer. Stu- the Stuart Haas Racing guys had it nailed earlier on. It looked well, like they, a 16 wheel train at the front of the field. Well, and, and they were able to separate as well. You know, uh, they were. They raced pretty much in isolation for the first stage victory between the four of them. Yeah. Uh, the second one was a bit closer. But but by the end, with three laps to go, the same quartet of of uh, pick your order, but but basically of uh, of Kurt Busch, Kevin Harvick, Clint Boyer, and Eric Almirola, they probably had a three second lead with mm. three laps to go when. When we had the incident which caused the uh, over the, uh, the turn, four, well, I was going to say a turn four crash, but it's not a turn four in a trioval. Uh, as they were entering the trioval, uh, th- there was an incident which, which of course, was their undoing because ultimately what happened was, uh, uh, as they came back to green, Kevin Harvick ran out of gas. Uh, Ryan Blaney in one of the Penske cars quickly followed, uh, and. And then, which gave Kyle Busch the lead, and you thought probably Kyle Busch then and Eric Almirola were going to fight it out, and all Kyle Busch was probably going to hold him off until he ran out of gas. So Eric Almirola got the win, and the most important part about that was it effective that win guarantees that he makes the next stage. He doesn't, you know, he can he can he could enter the race at Kansas next week in a in a sedan chair uh, if he wanted to. Uh, probably wouldn't pass tech, but uh, but he's through. So. It might uh, do. It might do. <laughs> yeah. But Eric Amarola and Chase Elliott are locked in, and and really, Harvick, Bush, Logano, I should say, Harvick, Kyle Bush, 
Joey Logano, Kurt Busch, and probably Clint Boyer, and probably Truex will make it due to the fact that that there is a there's a, a an 18 point difference between Truex Jr. and Keselowski. Of course, if Keselowski wins in Kansas, he's in. So uh, and and ditto for uh, for 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 Blaney, Larson, and Bowman. But but it looks like. Uh, and particularly with the with the 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 hegemony that that we're seeing from from really from from the forwards of of Stuart Haas and and to a little bit lesser extent from Penske, uh, I don't really see those guys. I think one of those guys who are currently in the top eight is going to win the race. Uh, I think on anybody outside of that, I think it'll be Kazalowski who has has the opportunity. But uh, it's kind of remarkable. Remarkable stuff. While we've got you, can we do a bit of sports car news as well? Uh, as you were talking yes. about your speedway. Um, here's another West Indian, uh, Woodbridge, Ontario. Uh, <laughs> he was tricky little uh, left arm spinner. Uh, had a good googly, uh, in fairness. Did the season for Warwickshire, did Yeah, it? I think he did, yes. Woodbridge, I just remember, on... go on. Uh, pretty much Robert Ludlam books are all uh, cricketers. <laughs> I was a huge fan of Born Ultimatums, Googling. Oh, that's fantastic. Osterman Weekend, obviously. Osterman Weekend is the classic. Osterman Weekend, absolutely. Played for uh, for Trinidad and Tobago. <laughs> um, Woodbridge, Ontario is where uh, Lexus is moving to for their racing in a, an announcement that uh, came uh, hot on the heels of the end of the IMSA WeatherTech season john gentilotti's team uh, and lexus uh, which uh, is hpd isn't it uh, sorry not hpd which is uh, toyota um uh, racing in the us uh, have parted company amicably apparently uh, and james sully sullivan and jimmy vassar uh, have uh, taken it up this is the aim aim autosport prototype and gt team from Canada. Um, yes. I, I have to say, whilst uh, I'd heard rumours that it might not be staying with John Gentilotti, uh, although I think they've done a decent job with the car, they've been rather overshadowed by the other newcomer, which was the Acura team with uh, MSR, Mayshank Racing, uh, who, who've had a, uh, a slightly better run since they came in. I think they've done a pretty good job for another manufacturer. But um, this is an interesting choice. Uh, these these guys uh, paired up together uh, with Sebastian Bourdais in IndyCar, of course, and they have been running prototype and GTs uh, in other formula. But uh, this is a real vote of confidence for Jimmy Vassar and James Sullivan. Yeah, it is. And, and uh, it's something I've, I've, I've been aware of, uh, which is not allowed to say, <laughs> uh, I suppose, for, for a while. I know it was leaked. Uh, at the at the Laguna Seca IMSA race, I know uh, I sat down with uh, with some people who who said that this was kind of likely, and then it came out that that in in, in from from Marshall and in, in, from Racer.com that 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 it was a, a definitely definitely a possibility, and and it, I suppose at that stage it became uh, 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 basically the worst kept secret. But but there was a while there where it, 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 Vassar has some dealership ties. And uh, and they uh, clearly wanted to move in a different direction, and and, and has Vassar has proven through through his IndyCar uh, 
programs that that he is more than capable of, of running an operation like this and uh, and and it clearly makes sense for them i will say and this is just generally uh, 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 i'd be very interested to see the optics of this once it gets going because gtd does have a slight issue from a perceptions perspective. And it's changing it, next year as well, don't forget. They won't be able to keep, uh, potentially not be able to keep all their drivers because it's got to be proper pro-arm next year, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's that was kind of my that was kind of my next was that my next point was just that I, I'm fascinated to see how this is gonna work once it uh, once it all begins to get unveiled as to how they're uh, they're gonna make sure this this does look and and feel and be a, a actual pro-arm program and not a because you know, naturally, if 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 uh, IMSA is placing a program somewhere, they're bound to support it in some way. But but how they do that is it seems to be getting quite blurred, and and it's not something that that anybody fully uh, I think uh, has has their 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 finger on to be. And I, I'm kind of skirting around. I'm trying to be careful about how I say this purely because I don't want to lay any blame on anybody no, else no, any no, no. I, time, but... I understand exactly what you what you're trying to say they are going to move uh, to um from down from woodbridge ontario to north carolina uh, and establish a brace down there no news on the drivers yet tim uh robert lundlub was also a big fan of uh, women's cricket of course with uh-huh. uh aquaten progression uh, cassandra compact and paris option yeah uh, good. among his favorites uh well we've got declan uh and uh, if we can still get uh, Johnny Palmer back as well, I'd like to do some news in Spanish. Noticias en español por Midweek Motorsport. Kimi Raikkonen terminó para llegar al cocte estacionamiento. Right, be very careful with this, Dex. I'll give you first go. I, it's something to do uh, uh, from, what, from what I can gather with a chicken. I wonder, I wonder is this to do with the fact that that uh, he he is he's a parent now, isn't he? I'm just wondering if 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 part of his settling down, he's 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 uh, he's got chickens now. That's what it sounds like to me. El piloto de Formula One de Ferrari, Kimi Raikkonen, debe pagar una multa de 350 francos suizos, approximately 353 dollars, después de golpear un automobile estacionado en Bear, Suiza. Ah. Well, this, this is quite interesting. I think you might be onto something here, but I don't think it's just chickens here. I think this is like Kimi Raikkonen had a farm. He's bought a station wagon uh, to get in uh, sheep and chickens and uh, to to help augment his income now that he's going to Alfa Romeo Sauber. Uh, he's, he's starting a, a petting zoo at every single Grand Prix. I, th- I think I think that's what it sounds like to me. In his in the back of his Alpha station wagon, uh, Johnny's an Alpha man, so it, it's I mean it, it, it would have to be an old 147 or something like that, wouldn't it? 147 is the hatchback, isn't it? Uh, 156, 156 station yeah. wagon, yeah. Like that with the triple headlights. Um, he'd have to obviously extend it out the back though, wouldn't he, with some sort of little picket fence perhaps to uh, round the sheep up and the chickens. Yeah, I, um, I, would, I would imagine that that. Uh, They'll also, when they can, they'll also have uh, Valentino Rossi in the boot of the 156 estate because, of course, he is the goat. Yeah, very good. Ah, now uh, this is this the connection then? Are we not? Are we being too literal? Let's have another line. 
El periodico Litzene Zeitung informaron que el conductor de Ferrari golpeó el auto estacionado a las 9.15 a.m. del 18 de mayo. So it seems like he needed to get permission from Ferrari, I suppose, to because speak they are... German. They, to speak German. Well, well, about opening hours. So it looks like 9.15, <laughs> the quarter past nine on May 18th, he's, uh, it will be the opening day of the, uh, the mobile uh, petting zoo. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the back of an Alfa Romeo. Reichenden también se le cobró un tarifa administrativa de 450 francos suizos, aproximadamente uh, $455. Well, uh, no, here, this is a problem. Cobro. I, 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 yeah, I, I, there's two, there's two problems. It's an individual reptile house then as well. That well, there's a problem there because you can't, clearly can't have cobras running around with, with a domesticated fowl and you sheep, can you, so. No, so it's got to be separate building and by the sounds of things, very expensive to get into that additional feature. Johnny, I was just about to say that I said he really needs to look at his the four P's of marketing because because uh, when he when he gets the price, I think he's way off. Way oh, off. But, but hang on though, that does market there at an F1 weekend. I was going to say that's the thing you see. People have already maybe it's maybe this is going to take the place of the paddock club. <laughs> A few cobras there. Yeah, well, a few cougars there as well. Apparently, <laughs> um, move on. Ooh. That's the end of that story. So we're That's going to move on to some competition winners. Probably just as well, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> two weeks ago, John drove <laughs> from Bonjour. Declan, just, I, just calm I'm, down. I've faded him down a bit. <laughs> Two weeks ago, John drove from Monterey yep. to uh, Road Atlanta. Yes, I did. Uh, and stopped off at many Porsche locations en route. Uh, there's a whole series of programmes about his travels. But how many miles did he cover? That was a competition question that we've been asking you to guess. And we now know, well, some of us already knew, and that's why I wasn't allowed to enter, that the correct distance travelled by John was 2,000 869.9 miles. Well, uh, surprisingly, nobody got it spot on. Well, I tell you what, though. Nick Venison was 45.1 miles out, and he's only in third. Yes. Well, Robert Bester was only 3.1 miles out, and he finished second. Can you believe it? That's extraordinary. So our winner... Is Pat Sharp. <laughs> no, Paul Sharp. <laughs> Paul Sharp, just 2.9 miles out uh, on on the total. I, I'm very impressed with all of those, to be honest, because I didn't take a very obvious route, and we did a couple of diversions um, and took in a few other spots um what we need for those or uh, those three please it'll be a super bumper fantastic it won't be a mini metro that you win which i'm sure you're probably delighted is it the about. jet ski it's not the jet ski either however there is a t-shirt involved and if paul robert and nick uh, can send a direct ma- message please to at uh, radio lamont the responsible adult will uh, get in touch and uh, get your T-shirt size and your address, and we have a bumper Porsche bundle of goodies going back. Has Declan stopped laughing yet? He has, just about. Um. <laughs> and that's all we've got time for. Uh, right, smashing, good stuff. Uh, busy weekend for Johnny, VLN9. Join him for that. We'll be back say next goodbye, Johnny. week. Uh, say goodbye, Johnny. Goodbye, Johnny. Uh, say goodbye, Declan. Goodbye. Busy week for me too. I'm going to Lemons at, uh, at, uh, at Loudon Motor Speedway. Uh, Say goodbye, Nick Damon. Goodbye, Nick.
Yes, thank you, Nick. Uh, and uh, goodbye from me as well. Thanks to the responsible adult uh, for the uh, competition. And we did get the right envelope. And there's no time to explain. Uh, the Llama uh, is in the back of uh, Alpha 156 estate car with the rest of the animals. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.